You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the upcoming presidential election. We're trying to step back and look at it from a big picture, if you will. And we want to look into, is what we're seeing a example of the turning as we refer to in our award-winning film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, where we note that the U.S. is a war-based economy. And in this election cycle, we're seeing some outsiders, particularly Donald Trump and the Republicans and Bernie Sanders in the Democrat side. And then we've got the establishment candidates like Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton for the Democrats. And so we want to just look at these a little bit. And one of the real litmus tests that in looking at the political landscape, if you will, is the issue of the state of Israel, where the candidates stand on this. And the recently concluded APAC, that's the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, their convention with, I think it was 18,000 people in Washington, D.C. just concluded this past weekend, and all the major candidates, Hillary Clinton from the Democrats, Ted Cruz from the Republicans, and Donald Trump from the Republicans also. But what was interesting, I guess very notable, is that Bernie Sanders, who himself is Jewish, chose not to be there, and he issued some comments that actually ruffled the feathers of a lot of the APAC people because his comments were more balanced than what we're seeing in the what we call the establishment and even the outsiders like Donald Trump. I find it very interesting that here Bernie Sanders is the only named Jew running in the election, and he's the one that refused to go to APAC. And he's also taken a, a pretty hard-line stand on a two-state solution, which none of the other candidates have even touched. I also find it interesting, if you go back in history, it was Benjamin Friedman back in 1961, a Jewish businessman that came out and spoke against the Zionist movement and how the Zionist movement basically suckered the United States into World War One and also into World War Two. And here are two Jewish voices you know, condemning what Israel is doing over there. If anyone hasn't listened to uh, Benjamin Friedman's speech at the Willard Hotel from 1961, and definitely well worth listening to, see how we got to the mess we are in today. Thank you, Craig. That's an excellent idea. And we'll have a link to that on the description of our program, ladies and gentlemen. You might talk, Chuck, about the speeches. You listened to the Donald Trump speech, and Craig listened to the Ted Cruz speech at APAC. Okay, Tom, and you are dead right. The issue 
we really need to decide, I think, for our own comfort, if not for nothing else, is are we actually seeing an uprising, sort of a, a movement or uprising or a turning from the people, not from promoted candidates who are put up at the expense of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of, of lobbying money, but from a movement of people. And we should realize that uh, these kind of movements aren't always totally logical or rational or or even totally intelligent. They can uh, simply be reactions. I've seen people shout out, are you uh, still for Donald Trump after hearing what he says? And the uh, person answered, yes, because he isn't part of the money agenda from Washington. So the only thing this person was thinking of is, is he part of the status quo that we see against Washington? Unfortunately, there is a disconnect. People don't always understand the connection between Wall Street and Washington because there are a lot of Wall Streeters who are every bit as guilty as the career politicians who we hear all the time. In the area of Israel and Palestine, Trump talked to AIPAC and he got standing ovation. It was a long talk. It was kind of tedious to listen to, but there was a reoccurring theme. Of course, he stated his unequivocal support for Israel, and he stated that Israel is and will always be a Jewish state. Nobody's going to change that during my term or anything like that. He didn't really call the Palestinians thugs and murderers, but he implied it all the time. And he implied basically the righteousness of the Israelis and the, and the guiltiness of the knife-wielding Palestinians who he talked about in that respect. But what bothered me about the Trump speech was that it was very much a warring speech. It wasn't just, oh, well, we should continue to support Israel's politically. It hit to the heart of what must be in the minds of a lot of Jewish power, including a lot of Israeli power. And that is that he went after Iran and spent, he spent more than half of his entire talking about Iran as a criminal state. He said at least three times that the, and this is false, of course, this statement is, is completely false. He said three times that the United States government under Obama gave $150 billion to Iran. Uh, he repeated that several times. In one case, he sort of slipped a little bit meant told what he was talking about, and what he was talking about was unfreezing the assets that had been stolen from Iran by our government. And in this case, he was very much criticizing Obama and Biden. So the thing that bothered me the most about Donald Trump's speech was that he seemed to be playing the war card. He said over and over again, if I'm president, these guys won't get away with any of this. They won't get away with testing missiles. They won't get away with our money as though it was our taxpayers' money, which, which of course, is an outrageous statement. And he did bitterly blame Obama. And, uh, of course, uh, here again you have a Republican. Obama's a Democrat. He's the incumbent. I guess it's a good way of going after Hillary Clinton is to blame Obama. But I'd ask Craig, what is your thoughts about this preoccupation with Iran is the world's most heinous murdering regime? went on and on and on in his speech. Cruz did about the same thing, too. That was a, kind of a focal point. Cruz started out talking about Esser and the whole thing, and now, now there's another Persian king threatening Israel. So he, he goes back to the Old Testament and uh, basically saying 
that Khomeini is another Hitler talking about the Munich Agreement from uh, 1938. So definitely the, the war chant was there on both of those candidates. Cruz said if the Iranians went to test a missile that we would shoot it down. And if that, if Iran wouldn't stop their nuclear testing program, we would stop it for them. And again, the, the war chant and the war cry, and of course it was met with all kinds of applause and cheers to the crowd as well. With Cruz, though, when I listened to him, he definitely was speaking his passion. And with Trump, I almost felt that he was playing to the audience. In the way the system works, if you don't have APAC support, you can't make it. And so I, I don't know how much of that was tr- in, in Trump's speech. He knows how the system works. With Cruz, I mean, I, I, he was very convincing as this is what I believe and I'm going to go for this 100%. And what Cruz is going to do on his first day in office, dismantle the, the Iran nuclear deal. One thing Cruz mentioned, he said that any school, university, anybody like that, that provided any material support to the BDS movement would lose all federal funding. And, of course, that was that cheers and applause at that as well. But, again, Chuck, I, I agree with you. The, the war cry was loud and clear on, on both sides. BDS, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that was started in Palestine in 2005, so it's a little over 10 years in existence, and there's a big pressure by the Zionist Israeli lobby at the state level to enact legislation that will fall in line with what Senator Ted Cruz is advocating as as the president actually put teeth into the legislation. So a very outrageous uh, kind of legislation, of course, because it says that anyone who does business with the federal government cannot have an opinion politically that doesn't recognize Israel. So we're seeing all kinds of this, and this attests to the incredible power of the Israeli lobby that you have states uh, actually bowing to Israel. Colorado just passed a similar piece of legislation, the second one that they've run through, and I just received a wire today from someone who's telling me that there's yet a third piece of legislation, and this one is uh, the BDS legislation that's been referred to. That's being introduced here in, in the legislature in Colorado. So we do recognize the incredible power of the Israeli lobby. There's no denying that uh, because it's so attached to a money Jewish interests in America. And so everybody, as Craig, I think, as you pointed out, Donald Trump is a politician. How much of his rhetoric he means, how much of it is heartfelt and how much of it is political talk, victory at any price is basically the notion of the politician. What I think we still need to recognize is that these guys who served three or four terms in Congress and have been exposed to this lobbying all their political career are establishment people. And I think that's what the public is looking at. They're looking at the senator who's been reelected three or four times and has had millions of dollars to spend on election as being different from the Trumps and Bernie Sanders. Of course, Sanders has been in in Congress as well, but he has kind of a rebel history, and somehow he's overcome that image of being an elected insider by what he said. It is kind of interesting comments by Bernie Sanders quoted here in the Huffington Post. He, that meaning Bernie Sanders, called it absurd for elements in Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government to say that building more settlements in the West Bank is the 
appropriate response to the most recent round of violence in the country. He argued that new settlement construction ultimately undermines Israeli security and predicted that Israel would have to pull back settlements in the West Bank, quote, just as it did in Gaza. And he criticized Netanyahu's government for withholding tax revenue it collects on behalf of the Palestinian Authority. So, you know, those are some fairly strong comments. We haven't talked about Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, and, of course, she's just as much a war maker as the two major Republican candidates, at least verbally. Her promotion of the war in Libya is really an example of the consequences, and the country is a disaster. And you've got the ISIS types coming into the country. It's just on the brink of dissolution, actually. It's got a civil war going on in there. And we can lay that at the feet of NATO and our allies that literally uh, destroyed the country through our action. And they're, they're among the, uh, the immigrants who are trying to get into Europe now. Lots and lots of people from fleeing Libya, as well as Syria, Syria. And, and Iraq. So uh, we now have people from all over fleeing the, the Middle East, and the near complete destruction of the Middle East has but one major exception, and that, of course, is the country of Iran. Iran has somehow weathered this storm for some reason and is getting sanctions lifted and is, is doing business now with the Europeans who are in trouble and need the business. So the total and complete war destruction of the Middle East has but one major cog left in it, and that is Iran. Here at We Hold These Truths, we want to ask the question, well, where are the Christians on these issues? Why aren't they uh, being peacemakers, seeking peace? We know that 40-plus million Americans are influenced by Christian Zionism, the belief that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and you cannot say or do anything against it because you're going to be judged by God for doing that, whereas traditional Christians, of course, don't believe that. They believe that Israel is a secular state just like any other country on the face of the earth. And so we've got a real lack of education from people, even from the moral standpoint. Tom, that's very well said, and that is at the root of this problem. We do have an uprising going on. Americans from all different directions are supporting Donald Trump simply because he's different. And they're supporting Bernie Sanders because he comes out and says, Washington's in league with the Wall Street, and Wall Street is part of the problem, and I'm against both, and I'm not part of either one. And and he's being cheered on by people from all directions. I believe it's been stated that Sanders has obtained 80% of the vote of people under 30 in almost all of the states where he's opposed Hillary Clinton in primaries. There just aren't enough people under 30 to win the election, or Sanders would be way ahead in, in, the, in the polling. The percentage of young voters who are voting for Sanders is absolutely staggering. And when you think about uh, 80%, it's, it's almost beyond imagination. So this is a true movement of youth. Uh, the problem is there is a lack of leadership directing. 
And, of course, if the Christian churches were standing up for peace, Donald Trump would think twice about going in front of AIPAC and essentially declaring war on the country of Iran. Uh, I think it's also a credible testimony to the war-making of the Israelis and the Jewish lobby in America that they stand and applaud someone who is virtually demanding war or warlike acts against another country in the Middle East. This is what Israel did at the APAC convention. It was a thunderous applause for Trump whenever he attacked Iran and talked forcefully about he would not let them get away with it, implying war if necessary. It was loud and clear. And uh, there should be a Christian movement declaring peace at all costs. Where is it? It's largely because people have been trained to think that if you say anything against Israel or if you even say anything for Palestine, that you then are somehow uh, anti-Semite, the wonderful word that has become so big in our language now. I want to pick that up because uh, Hillary used that same argument in her speech, and I've got the uh, transcript in front of me here, and she says, we have to be united in fighting back against BDS. Many of its proponents have demonized Israel science and so forth. And she says, many of the young people here today are on the front lines of the battle to oppose the alarming boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement known as BDS, particularly at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise across the world, especially in Europe. We must repudiate all efforts to malign, isolate, and undermine Israel and the Jewish people. Listening to these speeches, I felt like I was at a Kufi rally. You know, uh, it, it, I, I really, I, you could have uh, just blindfolded me, and I, I would have sworn I was a Kufi rally, because the phrase that's always used, Israel and the Jewish people, Israel and the Jewish people, they're never segregated. One equals the other. And so if you're against what Israel is doing, then you're against the Jewish people, because it's always Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, this is uh, part of uh, Hillary's speech to AIPAC, and she said, uh, will we as Americans and as Israelis Stay true to the shared democratic values that have always been at the heart of our relationship. We are both nations built by immigrants and exiles seeking to live and worship in freedom. Nations built on principles of equality, tolerance, and pluralism. And then, uh, then she goes on to say about how wonderful it is. There's so many examples of how we're the same. And she says, we look at the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv, one of the biggest and most prominent in the world, and we marvel that such a bastion of liberty exists in a region so plagued with intolerance. And, of course, some of us remember a woman, Golda Meir, leading Israel's government decades ago and wonder why it's taking us so long here in America. <laughs> oh, okay. I wonder who she's thinking about. <laughs> Fill our listeners in a little bit more about who Kufi is. Oh, Kufi, the Christians United for Israel is the, uh, a Christian version of APAC that is uh, basically going to all the evangelical churches. That's where its uh, base is, and rallying the, uh, the war cry for supporting Israel unconditionally and using a few verses out of context in the scriptures to justify their agenda. But it's nothing more than lobbying arms for the state of Israel with some Christianese thrown on top of it. In Cruz's speech, he was talking about how wonderful Israel is, and he says, Israel shares our values. And, and I'm thinking shares our values. Let's see, what values are they sharing exactly? 
And when I, the only thing that came to mind was our annihilation of the American Indians. And I thought, well, yeah, we could share that with uh, Israel because what they've done to the Palestinians is pretty much what we did to the American Indians. So I guess we could share those values with Israel. I don't know if that's something we'd be proud of. Well, homosexuality and abortion and uh, scantily clad females all over billboards. That's an Israeli value, all right. Yeah, yes, exactly. (laughs) One thing I I said to one of my uh, Christian Zionist friends the other day, I made the comment about, like I did before, about the American Indian, and this person said, well, that's not biblical. It's not in the Bible that we were supposed to, you know, kill the American Indian, where it is in the Bible that the Jews are supposed to take the land back. And then I asked this person, I says, well, who is a Jew? And what gives them the right to the land? And that kind of rattled around their head a little bit. And I said, the, the Old Testament, if the Jewishness was passed on through the father, and today Jewishness is passed along through the mother. And who is the Jew? How do you discern that? And it, it just kind of this, this look of bewilderment. And I, and I said, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, converted to Judaism. Does that make him a Jew? Does he have a right to the land then? And no one asks the hard questions. They just take at the face value and say, well, they call themselves Jews. They, they go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God gave them the land, and it's good enough for me. Abraham was a Hebrew. Different. Yes. Well, Mark, you heard the uh, Trump speech to APAC. Uh, I've already talked about that quite a bit, but uh, you might have some additional thoughts on that. But from the Christian perspective, why won't the Christian church speak out for peace? Why are they so afraid to even discuss the issue of peace? Try praying for peace at your next prayer meeting at your church and see how quiet it gets after you pray for peace. There's something about it. You're not supposed to do that. How is this being fostered inside the church body? Well, there's obviously categories within the church in America. We have several returned veterans in our little congregation, and uh, I do pray for uh, an end to our involvement, sending our young people to be physically and mentally maimed. And the veterans that are in our group seem to support it, but we would be quite different from a dispensational or Zionist church, and we've beat that topic to death over and over again. As has been stated, they use the physical examples in the uh, Old Testament history of Israel to justify present-day physical uh, bloodshed. Uh, The good news is we're seeing the dispensational hermeneutic, our way of looking at the Bible, increasingly being discredited. I've met a number of Southern Baptists who absolutely loathe and detest dispensationalism, although I haven't figured out what they do believe, (laughs) but they claim not to believe in dispensationalism. So the mainstream denominations don't really care what the Bible says, and they they are more amenable to disinvestment and, and talk of peace. In the evangelical churches, the dispensationalists, of course, align with Kufi and Israel. But again, I think we're seeing a growing number of those people question and challenge that whole way of looking at the Bible. 
I think we've made inroads, and I think uh, by continuing to press hard, we can continue to discredit that. I don't think the big light bulb has come on in most of these evangelical churches yet, though, as far as this war question, and that's why, you know, these Republican candidates are so absolutely terrifying to listen to. It's interesting to note that APAC and the State of Israel and Netanyahu uh, have all uh, come down hard on on Obama and Biden. Uh, Joe Biden just came back from Israel, and he stated almost the opposite of what the, the people at the APAC meeting did. He said it's essential for Israel to stop creating settlements. It's the settlements that are causing the wars. He actually, for once in his entire political career that I know of, really said something that was right. And, it, and we shouldn't overlook the possibility that Obama has really tried to do something about the Israeli-Palestinian situation in these closing hours. I don't know if you've got a conscience-stricken moment or, or what, but Hillary Clinton is now having to disavow Obama's policies toward Israel and Palestine as she runs for office to replace Obama. When I do get a chance to listen to the progressive radio in California, when they're not talking about shutting down all American industry using the environmental movement, they are speaking of the injustice inflicted against the Palestinian people. So true, hardcore Bernie Sanders-type progressives, I think, are still very much concerned about the genocide of the Palestinian people. You get you get strange uh, bedfellows in in some of these questions. Do you ever? I personally got to travel through the Jordan Valley and I saw these settlements up close. I would have never dreamed of what they look like from the American news reports. When you see these settlements, so-called settlements, they're not settlements at all. They're luxury high-rise condominium buildings with swimming pools on the roof, palm trees, and it was just unbelievable. And our bus tour of Americans, uh, mainly people from Texas, but a smattering of folks from all over the country, when you drive through the Jordan Valley and you see all of these Israeli businesses, this young man from Houston, he looks at he says, they're never going to give this back. They're absolutely never going to give this back. And you know, and I bought a Israeli roadmap in a shop in Jerusalem. And, I mean, it shows the whole Jordan Valley and the so-called West Bank. They're all Israel. And then they have these little yellow dash circles, areas under Palestinian control. It looked like little concentration camps. And that's all that's left of Palestine. So I don't know how they've done such a great job. But the reality on the ground is vastly different from what the American people perceive through our news media. Absolutely. We have to continue to educate our fellow Americans because they've been so badly deceived on so many fronts. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, 
for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.